War and Peace. It's a literary work written by the Russian author Leo Tolstoy. It is a massive work of historical fiction set during the Napoleonic Wars and it actually contains somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 pages. It's a book that mixes historical fact with fictional narratives. In the book, there is a character by the name of Pierre. And at one point, Pierre is forced to confront himself and his actions. Pierre is forced to do some very serious self-examination. So, in prayer to God, Pierre says, Yes, Lord, I have sinned. But I have several excellent excuses. Let's think about that. And let's face the fact about excuses. Because making excuses is something that we as human beings excel at. In fact, if you actually look it up and check it out, some of the best excuses that have ever been offered are excuses that college students have given their professors for why they weren't in class. In fact, the other day I was reading some excuses that college students had used that had been compiled by a professor at the University of Illinois. An old favorite is grandparents' death. One professor reported that out of a class of 250 students, 14 of them lost grandparents the week of final exams. In fact, one professor expressed condolences to a student and was told, thank you so much, my grandmother was terminal, but she's doing much better now. I also read about a human resources executive in Virginia who had an employee, and you talk about a string of bad luck. This employee, in a period of two years, lost all of his grandparents, all 12 of them. His mother also died twice during that same period. And then there's car problems. The excuse that was my favorite among car problems was where the student told the professor I had car trouble. The police impounded my car and my paper that I needed to turn in was in the glove compartment. Or then there's the excuse about animal trauma. I couldn't be in class because my cat was having kittens and I am her coach. Now my personal favorite is the crime excuse. A student wrote his professor and said, I need to take my exam early because the husband of the woman I've been seeing has threatened to kill me. Excuses. We've got excuses for everything. You can actually go to websites to get a fake doctor's note for work or for school. Now, how would you define an excuse? What is an excuse? Here's a definition. A common lie. All dressed up. 
Remember Pierre? Yes, Lord, I have sinned, but I have several excellent excuses. Well, to be sure, most of us can relate quite easily to Pierre. We all sin. We miss the mark. We fall short of what God would have us to do. And when we do, we have several excellent excuses. It's so easy to excuse our behavior because, well, that's just the way God made us. Or to excuse ourselves on the basis of society or a dysfunctional family or company policy. When you turn to the pages of God's Word, you find a lot of examples of excuse making. In fact, one of the very first is back in the early morning of time in Genesis chapter 3. God had built this beautiful garden called Eden and He placed Adam and Eve there to dress and keep it. He said, now, you can eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in the day you of you eat thereof, you're going to surely die. Well, of course, you know the story. You heard it the first time you were in Sunday school practically. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The serpent tempted Eve and she ate the fruit and she offered it to Adam and he ate the fruit and then they were naked and they were hiding and the Lord God spoke to Adam and he said, Adam, where were you? He said, I was naked and I hid. How did you know you were naked, Adam? Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? And what did Adam say? He's confronted with his disobedience. He said, that woman you gave me, she tempted me to eat the fruit. Actually, I think Adam was actually trying to shift the blame to God. God, if you hadn't given me that woman, I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. It's not my fault, God. It's yours. And then God confronted Eve. And Eve tried to place the blame on the serpent. The serpent tempted me, God. And then that poor serpent literally didn't have a leg to stand on. The expression, I have sinned. You find it 19 times in the Bible. Pharaoh, the one who enslaved the descendants of Jacob in Egypt, said it twice during the difficult days of the plagues that Moses and Aaron called down on the nation of Egypt. Saul, the first king of Israel, said it three times. Speaking of Moses and the children of Israel, I love that story of the golden calf. Moses had gone to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, to receive the Decalogue. But he was gone a little longer than the people thought he ought to be, and they started to get restless. They said, we need to just make captains and, and go back to Egypt. Moses had brought us out here to die. And they, they were too restless, and so they pleaded with Aaron to, to, to make them some idols that they could worship. And so Aaron had them bring all of their gold. And he took the gold and he melted it down and he fashioned that golden calf. And ah, then comes Moses down from the mountain. And Moses confronts Aaron, what is all of this? And Aaron says, well, it's amazing, it's a miracle. The people brought their jewelry and I threw it into the fire and out came this golden calf. It's not my fault, Moses. I didn't do it. The people did it. They brought the, the jewelry and the gold and I threw it in the furnace and this calf just came out of the furnace, God. 
Moses? Oh, in the life of Saul then. There's that dramatic scene in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God has sent Saul down to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He says destroy everything they've got. Don't spare anything or anyone. But Saul goes down there and he spared Agag the king. He spared the best of the oxen, the best of the sheep, and he's leading all of that back. And early the next morning, it's a memorable scene. It's filled with drama. Saul's coming back from his mission to destroy the Amalekites. He's leading the sheep and the oxen and Agag the king. And he sees God's man Samuel. And so that meeting starts on a very high note. He sees Samuel and he says, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And about that time, oh my goodness, the sheep started bleeding, the oxen started lowing, and Samuel says, What meaneth then the bleating of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, Well, I decided that we would spare those. No, he didn't. He said, The people... The people wanted to do it. We wanted to spare the best of the sheep and the oxen. We're going to offer it as a sacrifice to God at Gilgal. Confronted with his sin, Saul wants to shift the blame to the people. He's got some excuses. And then there's Saul's successor, David. The man after God's own heart. David said, I have sinned. Five times. Actually, David said that more than any other person in the Bible. And then that, of course, begs the question. How could a man that went around sinning that much be called a man after God's own heart? How could that ever happen? Because even with his sin... David possessed a humble, repentant heart. In the 51st Psalm, David said, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David did not deny his sin. David did not offer any excellent excuses for his sin. He didn't blame it on someone else. He didn't try to justify it. He simply admitted it. He agonized over it. He repented of it. And he sought God's forgiveness for it. When you turn over to the New Testament, you look to Luke chapter 14. In verses 15 through 24 there, you see Jesus as He teaches the parable of the Great Supper. And we see some really... Great excuses offered there. These people were invited to the supper and they all had so many good reasons why they couldn't be there. One of them says, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. How many of us would buy a piece of real estate without ever looking at it? I bought a piece of ground. I need to go and see, see what it looks like. I'd love to sell that guy some property, waterfront property, about 20 miles east of Miami. This, another one says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go and prove them. I'd love to sell a used car to that guy. 
And then the third one says, well, I've married a wife and I can't come. Truth be told, if anybody should have gone to the feast, it was probably him because that's probably the best chance he had for a decent meal for a while. But they all had excuses why they couldn't attend the feast. Now here's the sad thing. Excuse making did not stop there. This is where I'm going to quit preaching. I'm going to start meddling a little bit. Because you know folks today in the 21st century can offer a myriad of excuses for not attending worship. I've heard folks say, well, you know, I just don't need to go. There's just too many inconsistent members. There's too many hypocrites in the church. I don't want to go. You go to ball games with hypocrites. How many times have you been at a ball game and you were sitting next to somebody that didn't know one thing or another about it and they were sitting there talking to somebody else about all kinds of different things and weren't even really watching the game or paying any attention to what was going on. They didn't really care about the ball game. You go to well, How many of you have been to Walmart at least once in the past week? Really? None of you? How many of us have been to Walmart at least once in the past week? Did you know there are hypocrites at Walmart? How many times have you heard someone say, I just hate going to Walmart? Have you ever heard anybody say that? How many times are they in Walmart when they say it? But hypocrites in the church just seems to be such a drawback. I had a man one time tell me, he said, well, you know, I know I need to be in church and I know I ought to go to church, but there's just so many hypocrites down there, I'm not going to go. You know what I told him? I said, why don't you come on this room for one more? People quit the church. They leave the Lord. Well, why did you quit? Well, because some of the members down there didn't, didn't treat me. They, they mistreated me. I didn't get treated right. I got my feelings hurt. Did you ever get your feelings hurt at work? And so you just didn't show up anymore at work because you got your feelings hurt? No. I quit. Well, I knew there was somebody at church that was not attending the way they ought to attend, so I wasn't going to attend either. Why'd you quit? I quit because there was a member of the church living openly in sin. This is my favorite. Well, I quit. And I'm not going back. Because the sermon just hit way too close to home. He was preaching right at me. Well, at least I didn't call any names. Then there's that whole laundry list of excuses. I just don't have the right clothes. I don't have any friends there. Well, I went to church and people didn't speak to me. How many people did you speak to? People aren't friendly. Well, I had company last Sunday and I couldn't go. Well, I work hard all week. Sunday's my only day for recreation. Well, the building, it, well, it's just too hot to go to church. We got air conditioning. It's too cold to go to church. We got heat. It's too wet to go to church. The roof doesn't leak. You see, excuses. You want to hear some really great excuses? Now, now bear in mind. Some of this is based on 50 plus years of doing this, okay? But you want to hear some really great excuses? 
preach a sermon on giving. Well, I would give more to the church, but I don't think brother so-and-so is giving the way he should. But one individual's failure to give doesn't justify me for not giving. Well, I would give a lot more, but I've got a lot of debts to pay. Did God make those debts? Well, I'd give more, but I don't agree with the way the leaders spend the money. God put the responsibility on each one of us to give as we've been prospered. Then the responsibility for how the money's spent falls on those who are the leaders of the church. People can come up with excuses for not giving, but not reasons. If actual reasons were given, they would be shocking, even to those who give them. It would be things like, I'm too selfish to give. I spend so much money foolishly, I don't have anything to give. I love luxuries more than I love the Lord. I'm keeping my money for pleasure, for fun. But you know the greatest tragedy? Folks come up for ex with excuses to not obey the gospel. And they come up with excuses not to live for Jesus Christ. Some folks just don't think they're, they're good enough yet to obey the gospel. If we're waiting till we're good enough to obey the gospel, it never is going to happen because the whole purpose of the gospel is to wash away our sins and make us fit subjects for the kingdom of heaven. Some folks never become obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they think they're too young or they think they're too old or just don't see the necessity of God's plan of salvation. Are you listening? God does not want our excuses. God wants repentance. God wants commitment. God sees through our excuses. And God knows us from what's on the inside, not the outside. Beloved, we cannot con God. And our excuses seem frail. And they seem feeble under the light of God. What does God want? God wants us to make Him a priority. He wants His Word to be the primary influence in our lives. He wants the Lord's Day to be dedicated to Him. He wants our worship to be directed to Him and only to Him and not to the things of this world. He wants our money to honor Him first. And with all of this that God wants, we continue to make excuses. Maybe the things of life and the pursuit of the things of life is more important to us than God. Why is that? 
Maybe you haven't opened your Bible in quite a while. Why? Maybe you're holding on to a grudge and you're not willing to forgive someone. How's that working out for you? Maybe you're living like a Christian on Sunday and living like the devil Sunday through Saturday. Why would you do that? God doesn't want that. Maybe all the praying you ever do is at church. Is there a reason for that or an excuse? The Christian life is all about giving God first place in our lives. You've heard me say this over and over and over and over. If Jesus Christ is not the Lord and Master of all of your life, Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master at all in your life. That's not just some catchy slogan for the invitation. That's not just something that looks good as a filler in the bulletin or on a marquee somewhere. It's not just something I like to repeat because it's strings together good. It's the truth. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. It's not ignorance of religion that ruins the souls of most men and women. It's a lack of the will to use that knowledge or the love of this present world. It's not open and flagrant sins that are going to fill a devil's hell. It's an excessive attention to things that in themselves are lawful for the Christian. It's not an avowed dislike to the gospel of Christ that is so much to be feared. It's the procrastinating, excuse-making spirit that's always ready with some reason why I can't serve the Lord today. We give God all kinds of excuses why we can't be faithful, why we can't do what He wants us to do, why we can't live His kind of life. Do you think God is really buying what we're selling? I would to God that I could motivate every person that I ever come in contact with to rid themselves of excuse making and commit themselves to be faithful to the Lord of, of heaven. Now maybe this morning you've never become a Christian. Stop making excuses for it. In simple trusting faith, repenting of everything that's sin in your life, confessing the name of Christ, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. Or maybe you've done that, but you haven't been living God's kind of life. And that failure has been observed by others. And that's weakened the influence of the body of Christ. Would you come this morning repenting of that and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you?
The Lord does not want excuses. The Lord wants steadfastness. The Lord wants commitment. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.